Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. I have a little bit of housekeeping to do before I jump to the poetry today. It's been a while since I asked if you would rate, review, like, or follow this podcast, whatever you're able to do on your platform. In the last month, I see there were about 400 downloads, so that's not bad for a mom in a closet yakking about poetry. But it'd be fun if you could help me out and help others find this free candy I have to offer. So if you haven't done any of those things yet, it would be a great way for you to express your appreciation in the currency that these sort of things um, use to do so. Thanks for considering that. Also, I'm coming nigh on 100 episodes. I would love if I could get to episode 100 in this calendar year. I have some plans. We'll see what the school year starting does to that. But it would be, it would tickle me if episode 100 could be another poetry um, open mic sort of episode. So if you have listened for a while and you haven't sent me a poem, or if you have before, those are the two people (laughs) who I would like to have consider sending me a little recording of yourself reading a poem. If you've done that before, if you haven't, Um, I would love to have you do that. So most phones have a voice recording app. It's very easy to use. You could push play, tell us your name and the poem. You could reflect on it or not. Um, It could be as simple an intro as here's a poem my teacher made me memorize in third grade, or you could do a longer reflection on the poem more like I do. It's up to you, but even just a plain poem, in your voice, emailed to me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com would be wonderful. All right, business aside, let's get to some poems. My theme for today, it is in line with the summer series I've been doing, and we're getting more to end of summer. And I think part of that, especially as someone who lives in a college town, and was a teacher of recent graduates last year who are mostly moving out of state, a husband who's a professor, it's easy to remember that this time of the summer often involves some goodbyes, some leave takings. And I wanted to honor that with a few poems today. I have three and I have, don't have them printed. Usually I do. So let me click around a little bit to find them. The first one I'll read is by Sharon Olds. In fact, all three poems I have today are by poets I've read before, old favorites. That's probably why they were in my mind, ready to be dug out and strung together to make this episode. The title is The Summer Camp Bus Pulls Away from the Curb. It's by Sharon Olds, and I'll read it. Here goes. Whatever he needs, he has, or doesn't have, by now. Whatever the world is going to do to him, 
it has started to do. With a pencil and two hardy boys and a peanut butter sandwich and grapes, he is on his way. There is nothing more we can do for him. Whatever is stored in his heart, he can use now. Whatever he has laid up in his mind, he can call on. What he does not have, he can lack. The bus gets smaller and smaller as one folds a flag at the end of a ceremony onto itself and onto itself until only a heavy wedge remains. Whatever his exuberant soul can do for him, it is doing right now. Whatever his arrogance can do, it is doing to him. Everything that's been done to him, he will now do. Everything that's been placed in him will come out now. The contents of a trunk, unpacked and lined up on a bunk in the underpine light. I'm going to do something a little different and read the next poem and then talk about the two together. The next poem, no surprise, is by Jane Kenyon. Hers is called Leaving Town. This is a little poem I've copied and tucked inside a goodbye card for many a friend moving away in the summer to go teach at a different college somewhere else in a different state. This is a wonderful farewell and ending poem. Goes like this, Leaving Town by Jane Kenyon. It was late August when we left. I gave away my plants, all but a few. The huge van, idling at the curb all morning, was suddenly gone. We got into the car. Friends handed us the cats through half-closed windows. We backed out to the street, the trailer behind, dumb and stubborn. We talked little, listening to a tiger doubleheader on the car radio. Dust and cat hair floated in the light. I ate a cheese sandwich I didn't want. During the second game, the signal faded until it was too faint to hear. I felt like a hand without an arm. We drove all night and part of the next morning. I want to compare these two. This is interesting to me. The first one by Sharon Olds. It stuck in my mind when I was thinking of doing this episode. I remembered it from many, many years ago and dug it up. It obviously stayed with me. It does a lot of talking, doesn't it? A lot of telling what's going on, a lot of discussion of ideas. Now, when I read it to you, I actually did see more images than I thought when I read it with my eyes. Um, I noticed the last image of the boy as a trunk who's being unpacked and all of the things inside him lined up on a bunk in the underpine light. And she puts underpine as a beautiful compound word. I love that. 
under pine light. Oh, the sounds there are so good. And so that she knows that strong. She ends with that, that beautiful image. Just like he's unloading his backpack and lining things up on the bed. So he, going out into the world, is full of all the things that he's learned up until that point. So that's a strong image. I noticed, though, in the middle this time that there is actually the image of the bus, like a flag folded and folded and folded until only a heavy wedge remains. And when I think of the mother out watching the bus drive away into the distance, I think that heaviness is probably in her, don't you? So there is some image there, but the rest is a lot of ideas and some of the lines I don't like or they rub me the wrong way a little bit but I read a book just in the last few weeks about poetry and memorization of poetry and the author suggested that if there's a line that bugs you or that you keep forgetting to pay close attention to it and see what's going on there sometimes you can learn something interesting if instead of turning away and thinking I don't agree with that or I don't like that you just think a little longer so I think some of the parts that I didn't like about this poem when I read it the first time is, I guess, the sense of doom and inevitability. Um, lines like, everything that's been done to him, he will now do. Or what he has in his mind, he can call on and what he does not have, he can lack. There's nothing more we can do for him. Now, I think this is a little bit... Um, being overstated and the emotion of a mom watching a child go off to summer camp for the first time. It might be heightened. It might be in the voice of that parent, not necessarily of a narrator um, speaking what's true per se, but, but speaking in that emotional state of, okay, there he goes. It's over. That was childhood. But I think as I've let this poem sit with me a while, I've understood more the idea that there is a certain point where the speaker can't be there anymore. That new adult has to have, lack, call on, have things done to him that he um, has to take responsibility for on his own. I actually like whatever he has laid up in his mind he can call on. That reminds me of the concept of furnishing your mind with a rich education and hobbies to have a lot in your mind. So if your first night at camp, you can't sleep the whole night long, you have things of peace and beauty to call upon. What he does not have, he can lack, she says. And that too, we all have holes. Not everybody's strong in everything. Some of us just have big, huge lacks. And that's part of life. Of course, he can you know, grow in those areas as he gets older. But from this mother's perspective, she's done what she can do up to this point. Now, Jane Kenyon's poem is almost completely in images. You know she's famous with me for using so many solid um, concrete down nouns. And she tells a story of leaving town with almost no editorializing comments. She doesn't mention any emotions except dumb and stubborn. Um, but that's the trailer feeling those ways or having that personality. 
There's another point where she uses the word feel, but it's a simile. Instead of saying, I felt, and you almost expect lonely, sad, some sort of abstract emotion to come, but she says, I felt like a hand without an arm. And then she moves on to the drive all night and part of the morning. She's using objects. She's using things. And so adeptly having restraint to hold back from digging into abstract emotional language. Nothing wrong with abstractions or emotion or even commentary and um, narration like Sharon Olds does in hers. I love that one too. But it's just a striking contrast for me to see Jane Kenyon tell a story almost completely in cats, plants, vans, cheese sandwich, a radio, dust and cat hair, a fading signal, night, morning, hand, arm, this whole story of something like leaving a state, leaving a home, and driving away is told almost all in things. But the feeling comes through, doesn't it? I wonder which one actually made you feel the goodbye the most. I'm going to read them both again, just one and then the other, and then I have one more poem for you. So listen again. The Summer Camp Bus Pulls Away from the Curb by Sharon Olds. Whatever he needs, he has, or doesn't have, by now. Whatever the world is going to do to him, it has started to do. With a pencil and two hardy boys and a peanut butter sandwich and grapes, he's on his way. There's nothing more we can do for him. Whatever is stored in his heart, he can use now. Whatever he has laid up in his mind, he can call on. What he does not have, he can lack. The bus gets smaller and smaller as one folds a flag at the end of a ceremony onto itself and onto itself until only a heavy wedge remains. Whatever his exuberant soul can do for him, it's doing right now. Whatever his arrogance can do, it is doing to him. Everything that's been done to him, he will now do. Everything that's been placed in him will come out now. The contents of a trunk, unpacked and lined up on a bunk in the under pine light. Okay, I said I wouldn't comment, but I was just thinking that inevitability and um, fatalism almost that I felt on the first time times of reading through this, I'm almost seeing a different way now as being another way of saying sanctification. Because something interesting about sanctification is you don't do it it happens to you and it is going to happen whether you want it or not. A purifying, a growing, a cleaning, a stripping away, this will happen to the Christian soul according to the theology that I believe. And so I'm sensing that more now. His pride, his exuberance, his arrogance, his heart and his mind, he's going forward and things are going to happen. 
He can't escape it. And I think that's part of what the mother is sensing. And probably a lot of mothers, if they send their children away and fathers to college or camp or whatever the case may be in the summer. Okay. It's interesting how when I read this out loud to you and talk to you about it, it actually makes me think thoughts beyond what I had just alone with these poems. So thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me verbally process. Okay, here's a Jane Kenyon poem. Listen to the things that hold the ideas and emotions. Leaving Town by Jane Kenyon. It was late August when we left. I gave away my plants, all but a few. The huge van, idling at the curb all morning, was suddenly gone. We got into the car. Friends handed us the cats through half-closed windows. We backed out to the street, the trailer behind, dumb and stubborn. We talked little, listening to a tiger doubleheader on the car radio. Dust and cat hair floated in the light. I ate a cheese sandwich I didn't want. During the second game, the signal faded until it was too faint to hear. I felt like a hand without an arm. We drove all night and part of the next morning. The last one I have is an E.E. E. Cummings poem. It's a love poem, that's for sure. But when I was mulling over the goodbye, farewell theme, this one kept coming to mind. I'll read it and then explain. The first line is the title in true E.E. E. Cummings style, and it's I carry your heart with me, I carry it in. It's the first line. Here we go. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world. For beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you are, whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root, and the bud of the bud, and the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. I remember the bridge, the mental bridge that got me to this poem. A long time ago, I read a novel by Wendell Berry called Hannah Coulter. And I don't remember it very well, but one line stuck out to me where the young woman, Hannah, is doing some sort of household chore and she thinks of a relative, an older deceased relative. Um, and, and it says something like, we think of people, <laughs> not think of people, I'm not gonna, 
we think of people when we do what they've taught us, something along those lines, but it was much more eloquent. Um, and I thought, oh, that's true. There's so many little things I do, like say making cookies. Every time I flatten the baking soda against the side of the box in the teaspoon, I remember my mom teaching me to do that when I was a little girl. Um, or when I measure salt for cookies, she always said, don't hold the spoon over the bowl when you measure the salt, because if you spill too much, you're going to ruin the cookies. And she said, but go ahead and measure the vanilla over the bowl, because if you splash too much in, it's expensive, but the cookies will taste even better. So every time I make cookies and do those little techniques, I think of the person who taught me that. And there's some less romantic um, and more obscure ones. <laughs> Actually, when I shave my armpits, I think of a friend's mom in high school who kind of, um, kind of rudely was explaining how badly my friend and I were doing it, shaving our armpits. And she said, you have to shave both directions, you know, go up, down, sideways. And I still think of her and her unasked for advice every time I do the technique that she taught me. We carry people around in this way when we've taught them and when we've learned from them. So there's a lot of romantic and over-the-top language in here. Let's see. You are my fate and you are my world, things like that. That's pretty intense. Most of us will only say that to a few people in our life. Maybe some newborn babies, maybe a spouse, um, maybe a, you know, a romantic partner. But that isn't, that doesn't sound like a platonic poem. So I know he wasn't meaning this to be what I'm taking it as, but that feeling of carrying somebody around in your heart the more books I've read with somebody, the more conversations I've had, the more I've taught someone and she's taught me, the more I feel like that person is living in my mind and my heart. So if I'm at an art gallery, I might say, oh, look at that one. Oh, yeah. And I'm talking sort of in my mind to one of the friends that I'm carrying around in the heavy, heavy pack of my heart. And this poem was reminding me of that. You've heard the expression to have a child is like having your heart walking around outside of your body. So it made me think of that too, as I'm thinking of parents who are saying goodbye to children at this time of year. This isn't easy to read. It's just full of parentheses and interesting punctuation and wild line breaks. I'll read it again and I'll try to go slowly so you can hear the beauty of his language. Now, he does break grammar rules, doesn't he? But I don't think he's trying to keep us from understanding what he means. I think he's trying to, striving to get closer to explaining what this is like. I think he wants to be understood and known. I think he's using crazy paint colors to try to better express what this feeling is, what this relationship is. So I've come to love his crazy syntax and grammar and everything else about him because I feel he is trying to express something even if he has to break the normal rules to do it. And I admire that. So let's listen to him in his brilliant, unusual way talking about this concept of a person caring 
other people around in his or her heart through life. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in by E.E. Cummings. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud and the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. <laughs>